0: The scripture for today is 1 Samuel 16, 1 and 6 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the word of God to us.
1: Thanks be to God. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Good to open God's word with you all this morning. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Sean. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. And if you're just joining us, we are in a series called Warrior Poet that we've been studying for several weeks. This is a study on the life of David. And careful observers that have been with us maybe for the last six weeks will, uh, will maybe point out one crucial detail. We've yet to meet the main character of the story, right? That's kind of a big deal. We've made it now through 15 chapters of the story... And no David. So up to this point, we've met uh, the people of Israel. And we've met some of the other characters. We've met Samuel, who is this great forerunner to David, who will be the king. But we've not met David himself yet. So up to this point, it kind of feels like maybe hearing about Luke Skywalker and and rushing to the movie Star Wars, ready to see like an epic lightsaber battle. And then realizing like he's not even on screen for for half an hour, right? It's kind of like that. Well, guess what? Today's the day. We get to meet David. This is a big day for us. So we're going to be introduced to David, and as we start to see in chapter 16, we're going to start to see his kingdom coming into focus. And as we do, I want to make some observations with you about David. I want to make some observations with you about us. But most importantly, I think if we'll look, we've got some things that God is giving us to learn about himself today. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, when we read the text that's in front of us, I want us to focus on a couple of things, first about the kingdom of David, but before we do that, I want to give you a little bit of backstory for, uh, for context. The books of First and Second Samuel, some of my favorite uh, narrative in all of scripture, the books are just filled with irony. They're filled with irony, and we're going to see this as we go. Uh, One of the things that we see in chapter 16 is the author is giving us these words in such a way that we're supposed to see a really stark contrast between the man that is Saul, the king that God has already rejected, right? We've seen that. We're going to see a stark contrast between Saul and who David is, this man that's now coming into the picture. There's this juxtaposition, Right, That's going to be a really crucial thing. And we're supposed to see that it's supposed to be striking to us. Remember the passages that we've read the last couple of weeks? Uh, what we've seen is the people of God, they reject, uh, they reject God as king. And they're clamoring for a king, right? They're asking for a king. And what happens when they reject God as their king is they go to this place of human strength. That's what they need. So Saul comes in the room and they go, man, the guy's a head and shoulders taller than everybody else. And look at him. He's the most handsome guy in all of Israel, right? Why wouldn't he be our king? And uh, the, kind of the idea that you get is uh, you walk into a room and you go, who here is the strongest? Who here looks to be the most powerful? That's our guy. Let's go with him. And uh, what I love about this part of the story <laughs> is uh, the, the author starts to slip in some really sneaky stuff here. Uh, And this is all part of this juxtaposition. This is part of this contrast that we're supposed to see. Did you realize that in the moment in the story when Israel is clamoring for a king, they're saying, Samuel, give us a king to rule over us. We want him to be strong. We want him to go before us and fight our battles. We want him to look like the kings of all the other nations. Would you please give us the guy that we're looking for? And Samuel's like, you have a king. God is your king. And, uh, and God's like, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And I'm going to give them what they're asking for. And when he gives them a donkey herder, they don't seem to realize the irony in the room. They don't seem to realize like, here's a situation where we meet Saul and he's herding around all these donkeys and he's looking for lost donkeys that are are across the countryside and at the same exact time, the people of Israel are going, we need a king to rule over us. We want just the proper king for us. And God says, I've got just the guy. You're going to love him. He's used to herding donkeys. He's used to seeing them wander off. You wayward people will be perfect. This is going to be a perfect match. He is a man uh, after the people's heart in every way, right? And I think what this shows us, like, sometimes God, in his loving pursuit of us, he gives us the thing that we're asking for to show us that he's really the thing that we need. And this is what happens with the people of Israel. And, And as the reader of the story, guys, we're being set up. We're being set up for this Juxtaposition. So the first thing that I want us to see, two things about the kingdom of David. The first thing, the kingdom of David is a kingdom unexpected. It's really an unexpected kingdom, right? We saw in chapter fifteen last week that things are not going to work out so well with this guy Saul, are they? It's just not going to work. And uh, you see Samuel, he's like broken hearted. He's crying out to God all night. And, uh, and he thinks that this is really the guy. He thinks that this is the future of Israel. And he gives a farewell address. You remember, he stands up before the people and he's like, I'm bowing out. He's halfway on his way to Fort Lauderdale. Like he's ready to retire. He's out of here. And God comes back to him and says, hey, Samuel, uh, we got some more work to do. This is not gonna work out with this guy. Uh, Saul has proved himself to be a, a man after the people's heart. But now I'm sending you to meet a man after my own heart. So we get to chapter 16 and read again with me, verse 6. There's a big party, and all the people gather in in the town of Bethlehem. Samuel shows up, and they're going to have a feast, and it says, When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on his height of his stature. This is like short guy life verse. I'm getting this tattoo if anybody wants to go with me. (laughs) Because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, but man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. Man, think about this. Um, Here's Samuel, who has been hearing the voice of God since he was a small boy. Do you remember? He's been listening. He's been hearing the voice of God. He knows what God is like. He knows the way that he works. And here momentarily, he makes the same mistake that's already been made by the people with Saul. Do so you notice that? Like he lines them all up and he's like, let's go tallest and most handsome all the way to shortest and youngest. And, uh, and he looks at the first guy and he's like, brilliant, it's gotta be him. And, uh, and it, it encourages me so much as a guy who frequently... Uh, fails to see how God is working. I forget the way that God operates. It encourages me so much to see this inner dialogue between God and Samuel. I mean, you just got to hear like the voice of God come to Samuel. And and he must be like, like, are you really serious right now? Like, we're really doing this again? You're going to pick the handsome guy? You're going to pick the tall guy? That's not how I work. I'm looking at the heart. And Samuel, man, he knows better. Um, if you think, like, he's heard the voice of God his whole life, but also he's grown up in this house that's this house of faith. It's the house of Hannah. It's the house that says, we know that God operates different than the way we operate. Do you remember the prayer that she prayed back in chapter 2? I'm just going to read a little, a little piece of it. This is the, the, the heart of, of Hannah uh, back in chapter 2, and the prayer that she prays when she, realized, she realizes that she's going to have a son. Uh, She prays, He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness for not by strength shall a man prevail. His whole life he's been hearing, hey, it's not by strength. That God operates. It's not by human strength that God is going to work through us. And so the patient voice of God comes back to Samuel and he, he says these beautiful words, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so what do we have? We have this scene where Je- Jesse just keeps parading one son, two sons, three sons, four sons, five sons, six, seven sons passed before Samuel. And he's like, I'm listening to the voice of God. None of these are them. And he's kind, you just kind of get the idea of Samuel scratching his head and he's looking at all the boys and he's like, your name is Jesse, right? Like I was supposed to come to Jesse. Do you have any more sons? And, uh, and man, it's amazing what we see here, the same exact mistake that now the people have made, that Saul has made. We see Jesse makes the same mistake, doesn't he? He goes, oh man, I didn't even think to invite David. I didn't even think to invite him. He goes, yeah, I guess I do have another, uh, an, another son. I, honestly, he is not what you're looking for. He is really not king material. He is shepherd boy material. And he's great at that, don't get me wrong. But I don't think he's the guy that you want to talk to today. And uh, Samuel, man, he, like re- he realizes, wait a minute. I know the way God works. I remember the way that... God demonstrates his strength. And he says to Jesse, Actually, this is exactly the kind of material that God wants as a king. Send for him. And it says, They don't sit down until he comes. So we meet Saul. It's brilliant, isn't it? He's a donkey herder. But when we meet David, what does it say? He's a shepherd. The man after God's own heart, he's shepherding the sheep. He's caring for them. There's a party going on. The most important thing in all of town is happening. There's a feast. Samuel the prophet has shown up. Everyone turns up. But what do we see in David? Most important thing to him is caring for the sheep. Most important thing for him is staying with the sheep, caring for them, protecting them, feeding them. And in this moment, we start to get a glimpse of the heart of God to us. Again and again in the scriptures, God is going to say things like, I don't do things the way you do things. Why do you keep thinking I'm like you? I don't operate the way that you operate. Listen to me, frontline, south. If you consider yourself to be the kind of person or, or not the kind of person that God can use in a mighty way, two things. One, welcome to the club. Like, we feel that. We all feel that. But two, you're wrong. You're really wrong. Um, The way that God demonstrates his strength and he demonstrates his heart is not through people that are really strong. It's not through people who outwardly really look good. In fact, the, the, the realization and the knowledge that you're not strong enough in your own strength to do anything, that's about all you need to have for God to use you. This is good news for me. Look back in history and you see God uses people like Abraham, doesn't he? Abraham's just like this pagan guy who's wandering around the desert. God shows up to him, and he's like, "In my hands, you are going to be something different. I am going to use you, and you are going to be mighty." He shows up to guys like Moses, and Moses is like, "Hey, man, I God, I cannot speak. Please, just don't even ask me to." And uh, God shows up, and he's like, "In my hands, you are going to be something stronger than what you are by yourself." One of my favorite stories is uh, the story of Gideon. If you know the story of Gideon, it's in uh, Judges chapter six and seven. And uh, what you see is there's this guy who Gideon, who is supposed to go out and lead this army of the Lord, and uh, and he's like he gets this assignment and he's totally scared out of his mind. He's actually cowering, afraid. He's hiding in a wine press, and he thinks maybe if I just hide here for a while, they'll pick somebody else. And uh, and what you see is the angel of God shows up to Gideon, and he's hiding and he's cowering, and he says, "Hail, valiant warrior." You're a a warrior in God's hands. He's not looking at the outside. He's not looking at the stuff that you're looking at. But in his hands, you're going to be mighty. Um, Think about the way this whole story started. We got Hannah, a barren woman who's unable to conceive. And God uses her in a mighty way and brings about the life of Samuel. This is really going to be on display next week. I don't know if you've heard of a guy named Goliath but David is going to meet him in battle and it's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a a big story. God's going to continue to show off this idea that he doesn't use the strong. Um, He actually uses the weak. And that's really good news for me and it's good news for you. This is the story of how God sees people. It is not the story of how you and I see people. It's just not. Um, I, I think about my own family, when I moved uh, in third, uh, before I went into third grade, my family moved to a new town, and I showed up, a new school, and, uh, you know, up to that point, like, here I am, an almost third grader, and uh, up to that point, like, I didn't care about my haircut, you know, like, I think my dad was giving me a haircut, which is like, he wasn't a barber. (laughs) I was dressing myself, you know, like, that's not a pretty sight, I didn't care where my shoes came from. I think they came from, you know, Kmart or Walmart or one of the marts. I, did, I didn't care. And uh, I show up to school on the first day. I'll never forget. Kind of like the cool kids, the popular kids kind of gather around. And it's like that thing where, you know, we just want to make sure that the pecking order isn't getting in any way interrupted. So we just need to check this new kid out at school. And, uh, and they, I'll never forget. They didn't even ask my name. They just walked up to me and they're like, hey. And they look at me up and down. And they just walked away because they were like, this guy is not a threat in any way, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and I remember like the next couple of weeks, I was, I was just telling my parents how badly I needed like Nike Air Jordan shoes, <laughs> you know? Like everything was changing because of the culture around me. And that's still inside of me in some ways. And I believe that that's probably inside of you too. We live in a, in a swipe right if they look good, swipe left if they don't look good, double click if their life is beautiful. This is the world around us, isn't it? And I sit in this room and I, and I, and I realize maybe we're all thinking, gosh, that's probably the way it is for some people out there, but we're not that way. And so I just want to give you an application question. If you're wondering if this is in you, ask yourself this. This is this is piercing to me. How much of my time and energy, how much of the anxiety I feel in life is what is related to what I hope for others to see of me? How much of my time and energy, how much of the anxiety I feel in life is related to what if they see this? What if they don't see this? That hurts. But here's the good news. God is not looking at your Instagram account. God is looking at your heart. He delights in the inner character. You can hide a lot of stuff from me. You can hide a lot of stuff from your community group leader. You can hide a lot of stuff from your spouse. But you can't hide anything from God. He's looking all the way through. He sees into your heart. And uh, he knows you. He knows the good. He knows the bad. He knows the depths of you. And he's inviting you to bring your whole self to him. This is who God is. He's inviting you to bring your whole self. Not so that he can condemn or crush you. But so that he can change you. You know why I think that? Look at verse 13. Do you think David was born with the, the kind of strength or character uh, that, that, that he needed to be the king of Israel? I don't think so. I think God probably gave him uh, enough to be a faithful shepherd boy. But look what happens. The secret of David's strength is in verse 13. It says, then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David From that day forward, literally, that is to say, David was dripping in the anointing, in the presence of God. It rushed on him like a flood in the way that oil was covering the top of his head. The presence of God himself was covering his body. This is the thing that changes David. This is what David needed to become a new person. This is what you and I need to become a new person. Somebody's with me. I'm glad to hear that. So David, he has this unexpected anointing, right? And what it seems like is going to happen is that we're going to turn to the very next page and we're going to go, here we go. The kingdom of David, you know, chapter two, the kingdom of David. Uh, And that's just not what happens. You think that that's going to happen. Here he is anointed and now we're moving on. But do you know what happens next in the life of David? Waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, obedient, patient, waiting for God to give him his next steps. The whole rest of this chapter and the rest of this book, we're going to see again and again and again, God is preparing David, but he's just waiting. So like the rest of chapter 16, what what we would see if we had time to study the whole chapter was, here's an anointed King David, someone who knows that the kingdom is coming for them, who knows God has chosen him to be king, and uh, instead of taking the throne right away, uh, what we see is he actually enters into Saul's service. He enters into serve and, and, and humble himself to get underneath the service of this wicked king who's freaking out. He's grasping for the kingdom in every way. He's paranoid. Uh, and, and, and what we see is, Two years pass, five years pass, 10 years pass, 12, 15 years pass between the time that Samuel shows up and anoints him with oil and the day that he actually puts the crown on. 15 years pass. Why would God do that? Why would he, why would he allow that much time to pass? Well, that's the, the second thing that I want us to see is The kingdom of David is not only an unexpected kingdom, but it's a kingdom in waiting. And I think what God is doing here is he's allowing David to go through a crucible of suffering. There's something that we have to learn here about going through seasons of pain, seasons of of suffering, to realize that those are moments, those are days, those are weeks, those are years that are God shaping us into who we're ultimately going to be in his hands. And David knew that. David wasn't rushing. David wasn't freaking out. He wasn't trying to grab the crown or grab the throne. I think David realized, man, if if I rush into this, I'm not going to be ready to be king, and it's just going to be another big mess for Israel. I think David knew, if if I stand like this and my hands are open and God forms me and he shapes me in my mind, in my body, and in my soul, then it's going to be his work that happens inside of my life, not my own work. And so I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to see what God wants to do. And let me just tell you, this is a painful 15 years. I mean, he starts out in Saul's service, things go sideways, and a lot of his life is spent running from this guy who wants to kill him, and is freaking out, and is trying to grab a hold of the throne uh, that God has already rejected him from. And one of the things that strikes me about the 15-year period that God gives to David is if he wouldn't have had that seminary of suffering, if he wouldn't have had that season of pain, the Psalms wouldn't have been written. It wouldn't have been written. The very place that you and I go to when we say, God, where are you? God, I have all these doubts. God, it feels like you're far from me. All those places that we go to that shape who we are, when we feel seasons of pain, we get all that stuff because David had to go there first. That's really beautiful that God would do that in him, and it's really beautiful that God would do that for us. This is the way that He works. God, He took Abraham through a long season of waiting. He gives him a promise, but it's years before that promise is fulfilled, isn't it? Think about the story of Joseph. He has this dream in the midst of all of his brothers, and he's like, I think I know what God is doing. And God gives him a painful, long season of waiting before that dream comes to pass. He does this in David. And guess what? He does this in you, and he does this in me. A good friend of mine, he's, uh, he's going through a really painful season right now. Um, things are really up in the air with his marriage. Things are really up in the air with his family. Things are up in the air with his job. He's not exactly sure where he's going to live next week. I and mean, it's, it's, it's tough. And he said to me um, something that was so real. I mean, he came to me and we were talking about it and he just said, Sean, I got to tell you, I, honestly, what it feels like right now is that I've spent my whole life building these sandcastles and everything is just crumbling in my hands. And I was like, bro, I'm, that is painful. I'm so sorry that you're feeling that right now. But I'm going to ask you to do something hard. I'm going to ask you, brother, lean into what you just said because I know God. And I know that if he takes you into a a season of suffering, if he takes you through the seminary of suffering, it's not because he doesn't love you, it's because he really loves you. And he's doing something. He's working in you, man. Grab a hold of that pain, because in that you're going to get shaped. And it's actually going to be a place where you grow. Don't run away from it. Don't do it. So I want to ask you another question. When you find yourself in a seminary of suffering, when things feel painful to you, what is the prayer that you pray? This will reveal a lot for us. And I gotta be honest, this is a place where God is, is still really teaching me. Um, I am, this, this coming week will be one year since a day that some doctors and nurses wheeled me into an operating room for open heart surgery to replace my a- aortic valve. That was not on my schedule. That was not on my radar. I did not see that coming. That was news to me. And it was a a, a time in my life where I felt completely out of control. I was not able to control what was happening in that moment. And I was having all these conversations with my kids and conversations with my wife that were preparing them for the reality that I I didn't know if I was going to make it through that surgery. And in that season, the prayer that I really wanted to pray was, God, would you please get me out of this suffering? That's the easy prayer, right? And, uh, and God the Father, I feel like, just was teaching me to pray a different prayer. And it's a more beautiful prayer. And I think it's a more God-honoring prayer. Uh, God, what is it that you want to get out of me in the middle of this suffering? What is it that you want to do? Because I know that you love me. I know that you've not abandoned me. I know that you've not turned your back on me. So what is it that you're doing here? That's the prayer to pray when we go through seasons of suffering. So this kingdom of David... It's taken us 15 chapters to get here, right? It's a kingdom that's unexpected. It's a kingdom that is in waiting. And I just want to say, if we end the sermon here, we have some problems. We've learned some things about David, and we've learned some things about us. But I believe, and I want to argue, that the most beautiful part of this chapter of Scripture is, is yet to be discovered, and that's the things that God wants to teach us about who he is and teach us about his kingdom, So this is the, this, this first and second Samuel, this is the longest biography actually that we have in all of scripture. It's the longest chunk of scripture that we can look at and see one person's life. And I think it's good for us in the middle of this series and in the middle of this story to just stop and ask the question, of all the stuff God could give us, why is he giving us this? You know, like what, what is it that he wants us to know about himself? What is it that he's trying to? To, to teach us here, and I think a lot of us probably grew up, or maybe you're still in this place, where the way that you were taught to read the Bible was, read the Bible, it's full of all these great heroes. And there's all these people, and you can see what their life was like, you can see the places where they failed, and you can learn from that. And you can see all the places where they were amazing, and you can try to be like them. And you can see the rules that they followed, and you can try to follow those rules too. And so here we come to First Samuel, and we learn... Don't be like Saul. He's the disobedient one. Be like David. He's the obedient, courageous one, right? That's what we have to learn. couple of problems with that. One, it's not going to take us very long to realize this guy, David, is actually a pretty big mess too. He's going to get into some situations in the next few pages. <laughs> He's going to get into some trouble. There's going to be some moments that God comes to him... Uh, and speaks to him through prophets and other ways and, and says, hey, you've really messed up. And there's going to be some consequences. There's going to be some things that you're going to have to go through. There's going to be some new pain that is introduced uh, into Israel because of what you've done. And, and, and in fact, we really don't have to go farther than the words of David himself to realize, this guy is not the model of perfection. He's the guy that was writing things like, in sin did my mother conceive me? God, would you please create in me a clean heart? Would you please renew in me a right spirit? Would you please, God, not take your Holy Spirit from me? I am a complete and utter disaster. This is not the guy that we want to model our lives after. The second thing that I think is problematic about that is when we look at the Bible to give us pictures and stories and we try to figure out what are the morals here? What are the proverbs here? Uh, I, I think there's some good in that. I think all scripture is breathed out by God and there's things that we have to learn in our growth and in our discipleship. That's true. But when we look at the stories and we think, how is this, how, how is this speaking directly to us? We, we, what we're doing is we're primarily making the Bible about us. And it's not about us. It's not. It's actually the whole Bible from beginning to end is about Jesus. Uh, He's the one that says this. We see him say this to critics. We see him say this to doubters. We see him say this to his own disciples in moments to comfort them where he says, hey, 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 the whole scripture from beginning to end is about me. It's about my kingdom. It's about my father's plan to restore all things that are broken and all things that need to be Redeemed, And so when we look at the book of 1 Samuel 16 through the lens of the gospel, what we're seeing is this is actually much better news than Israel getting a new king because the first guy messed up. It's better news than that. Um, This is the news that God is sending a better king and a better kingdom to earth because all of us are Saul and we all messed up, (laughs) right? This is the story that we get. So I want to look at a couple of other places for just a second before we get out of here. In a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating Advent, aren't we? And one of the places that uh, we'll certainly be looking at, I'm sure in our time, will be reflected on uh, Micah chapter 5. This is the words that we get in that Old Testament prophecy that's looking forward. It says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. man. The Old Testament Israelites, they would have read that and they would have gone, David's the guy. He's a shepherd from Bethlehem. This is amazing. And you and I have the benefit of looking back in Scripture and going, man, in a lot of ways, this this helped us. David helped us to see what was coming. But this is not about David. This is about Jesus, the true and greater shepherd. So we've learned some things about David. We've learned some things about us But more importantly, most beautifully, what I want us to see is that 1 Samuel 16 really quickly shows us some things about the kingdom of Jesus. The first thing is the kingdom of Jesus. In the way that the kingdom of David's kingdom was unexpected, the kingdom of Jesus is a kingdom unexpected, isn't it? We worship a savior who who was born to an unmarried peasant mother. David, he's tending his sheep when, when we first meet him. But Jesus, when we see him first, he's actually being laid to, laid to sleep as a baby in the place where sheep lay. And all throughout the gospels, what we're going to see is again and again and again, everyone is shocked that that this guy, Jesus could be the Messiah. They're like, really? This guy? Um, John the Baptist, you know, was this great, amazing forerunner, to the Christ, right? He was the forerunner to the Messiah. And what's really fun about John the Baptist is you can look at the the story of 1 Samuel and you can see all of these really crazy parallels between the life of Samuel and the life of John the Baptist, both these forerunners to kings who are gonna come. Both are born to unlikely barren mothers, right? Both are born in this situation where the parents are crying out to God, asking for a son, Both are born into kind of a a Levite culture, into the the service of the priests. And they're both born in a way that the parents say, we're going to make a Nazarite vow. God, if you give us a son, we're going to give him right back to you. And what we see is in both of those men's life, the rest of their life is about preparing the way for a kingdom. And uh, again, it's like we are being set up to see the ways that all the Bible is pointing to Jesus. But what's fascinating about John the Baptist is he's a guy who's lived his whole life from childhood knowing my, my life, my very existence is about preparing the way for the kingdom of the Messiah. But even John the Baptist comes to a place where he sends a message to Jesus and he's like, hey, are you, are you the guy? Or is there somebody else that we're supposed to expect? <laughs> you know? What we see is Jesus, he wasn't taller than the rest. He wasn't richer than the rest. He wasn't political. Um, He he didn't do anything that, in any earthly way, was a demonstration of power. The king that we needed was humble and unlikely. He was the king that could do what we could not do. He was the king who came and, and was born and lived a perfect life, died, was resurrected in our place. This is the kind of king that we needed. And it came from this unlikely king, Jesus. Remember what Isaiah said about Jesus? Isaiah 53, it said, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. The whole time, Israel is clamoring for this king the whole time that Samuel is making the mistake to look at Eliab. The whole time that Jesse is saying, oh, I forgot about the youngest son. God is setting us up in scripture to see there is a king that's coming for us who looks different than what we were expecting. And he's the exact king that we need. He's gonna do things different than what we expected. He's gonna look different than what we expected and his timing is gonna be different than what we expected. Last thing I wanna show you, and maybe you've caught on by now. The kingdom of Jesus is a kingdom in waiting, isn't it? I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is king. I believe wholeheartedly that he's on the throne, that he's holding all things together. My heart is beating and your heart is beating right now. Uh, in the power of God himself. I believe that. But also, as much as I know that Jesus is king, I have friends who are dying of cancer right now. But also, we have families in this church right now who are mourning and grieving the loss of loved ones. Right now, we have families, marriages, who try as they might, try as we might, it just doesn't look, if I'm honest, like they're going to be put back together. And as a Christian, I look at these things and I look at the darkness inside of my own heart and I just cry out to God, is it always really going to be like this? Is this really what it's going to be like? And the the answer that comes back to me from scripture is not forever, not forever. I am making all things new. The kingdom of God, it is a kingdom that is already. It really is. It's inaugurated. We have it we have uh, on the on the truth of the resurrection. We have the promise that the kingdom of Jesus is already, but also and painfully so, it is not yet. God is so patient. In the way that David is patient, God is more patient, and his King his arms are open and his kingdom is wide. And he's saying, "Not yet, not yet. I, I, I'm waiting to bring more sons and more daughters. It's my kindness. It's my." patience that's leading you to repentance. Not yet. And until the day that the kingdom is fully ushered in, the people of God, we stand in faith, don't we? To say our pain is not without purpose. Our anxieties are not making God anxious. Every tear of ours will be wiped away. There's coming for us a weight of glory that's going to set down on top of us. And in that day, it's going to taste that much sweeter because of the pain that we all experienced here in this life. The rest of this story in the whole Bible is God, a gracious Father, who's reminding us the whole story of the first part of 1 Samuel. And that is, I am your king. There can be no other king. Would you stop messing around with money and power and sex and drink and, and all the things that you try to control? Would you stop messing around with other kings? I am your king I'm the only one that can satisfy you. I have living water that I'm inviting you to drink from and be satisfied. Amen? Amen. Can we stand up together? At the end of this chapter 16, I told you, David, he goes into Saul's service. And here we have this picture of an anointed king who already knows that there's a kingdom coming for him. And in a humble way, he moves toward, and he begins to serve a man who's paranoid, who's full of anxiety, who's full of fear, who's freaking out. He's grabbing a hold of the kingdom. And what we have is the anointed King David, the one who is going to be king one day. He lays, he, he lays himself down. He lays his life down in some ways to serve him. Man, that sounds like Jesus to me. Here we have a king who in every way could show up to us and say, I'm the king, bow down to me, do everything that I want you to do. And what we have is King Jesus who bends low and he comes to us, the broken, the afraid, the fearful, the full of anxiety, and he serves us, He loves us.